Welcome to the Human Reboot with me, Emma Last. We have uplifting, inspiring, and diverse reboot stories from people sharing the courageous, honest, authentic, and sometimes difficult life lessons. The Human Reboot will provide proven mentally flourishing formulas and practical tips to help you to live life to the full, giving you direction and hope. Make your mental fitness and well-being a daily priority. Learn to pause so that you can get clear and perform at your best. Switch off to switch on. It's time for your human reboot. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Human Reboot podcast with me, Emma Last. I'm so excited to share my vision for the podcast. It's so important to me to be able to inspire and help the world within my reach. I have asked my friend Jenny Gordon, the brilliance coach, to take the reins from me today and turn the tables on what is usually going to happen in the Human Reboot podcast. So Jenny works with people to help them to reconnect and rediscover their brilliance. She is a Myers-Briggs practitioner and she has a wealth of experience within the leadership space. So um, over to you, Jenny. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I was so delighted when Emma asked me to do the interview with her today. So what can I tell you about Emma? Emma is a fabulous businesswoman, entrepreneur, and mental health fitness specialist. She's a published author and speaker and all-round fabulous person. So I'm going to waste no more time because I'm sure you want to know more details about the Human Reboot podcast. So, Emma, what's it all about? So the Human Reboot podcast is is going to be a space where guests get to share part of their life's journey. So how they have rebooted in relation to overcoming some sort of adversity in their business, career or life. Because we all have challenges and changes that we have to overcome in our lives. And hearing vulnerable, helpful, diverse and you know, inspiring and uplifting stories can sometimes really help us when we might be going through um, challenge or change ourselves, which obviously is really, really important right now. My guests get to talk about how they switch off to switch on, which is something that we're going to talk a lot about in the reboot. And this is something that, you know, historically I've not been very good at and it's something that I've really had to learn to do so that I can pause and reflect and step back so that I can perform at my best in my work and my home life. And, you know, with some of our guests, it might be that they say, do you know what, I don't pause. But, you know, the real kind of, worry for me around that is that they might end up in the same place that I did you know and a lot of the work that I do is around preventing is helping people to manage stress and prevent burnouts and mental illness and for people who are high achievers and you know high performers you know it's almost like a a byproduct of wanting to be a high performance can sometimes be that you can become addicted to your work or addicted to your passion. And so it's so important 
that we do give our time, our brains time to rest and recuperate so that we can perform at our best. So that we will talk quite a lot about switching off, switch on. And then there's going to be a real sort of how-to section within the reboot, which is all about sharing personal tips that will help our listeners live life to the full. So I'll be asking my guests about what their personal flourishing formulas are for life. So whether that be in relation to mental fitness or well-being or any key learns that they've had throughout their life, we will be touching on those. And it's important to me as well through, um, through this podcast to make sure that tackle different topics as well. So um, when I was starting to put the idea of the podcast together, the lady that I was that was helping me said to me, but start, start doing a list of what you would want your episodes to be. And literally 20 minutes later, this podcast has been in my head for quite a while. 20 minutes later, I had um, scoped out, you know, rough titles for 50 episodes. Just like, wow. Because those... These these things that I wanted to share were the things that have helped me and have helped my clients. So that's something that I really want to, you know, to be able to do. And also just really signpost people to books or communities or podcasts or individuals that have been an inspiration or a key part of their journey so that, you know, that our listeners can learn from my guests' experiences. Well, I suppose that is what it's all about. It sounds amazing. I can't wait to listen. So tell me, uh, tell me a bit more about your guests. Well, my aim is for this podcast to be an inclusive podcast. So diversity, equality and allyship are massively important to me. Um, you, you know that through kind of the conversations that we've had, you know, and the the barriers that sometimes people face in life, you know, that has, you know, it causes stress and it can lead to mental illness. So that for me is where that kind of connection comes in. And if I can, by inviting guests and sharing, giving them a platform to share their learnings and also giving them a platform where they might not normally get that platform, is really, really important to me. So, so far through the recordings that I've done, I've met the most amazing, you know, diverse backgrounds, um, different countries, you know, all different people showing how they can thrive, um, no matter whatever life throws at you. Fantastic. And who do you want to listen? Who's the podcast for? Well, the podcast is for is for those people who are kind of driven to achieve those high performers or high achievers so people that you know who perhaps work in the corporate world or those that run their own business that have a drive to have it all I mean we know the dangers of having the drive to try and have it all but we talk about it's that kind of self-awareness around balance and the priorities that perhaps we need to choose to be able to have our 
our sense of having it all, if that makes sense. You know, it's for high performers who want to stay high performing. It's for those who feel that maybe they've lost their mojo. You know, they used to be, you know, top of their game, but they feel like they're slipping a bit. You know, they were once high performing and they feel like they can't figure out why they can't do what they used to do. And, you know, also for people that are pulled back to their work, you know, almost kind of work addicted you know, when they want to be able to switch off with time with their families. So it's, you know, this podcast is all about trying to get the balance right. And, you know, when we talk about balance and work-life balance, I mean, I just, I think there is a life balance. I think work-life balance is, there's so much more to it than that. It's a life balance. So it's just about trying to be self-aware enough, really, and of how we can look after ourselves so that as high performers we perhaps don't end up in the place that I did which I'll probably tell you a bit more about in a minute. (laughs) So why is it so important to have a podcast like this? Well um, we all have challenges and changes in our lives at one point or another you know and that is of course life you know there's always waves that we're going to have to ride but sometimes we have to learn to surf. And this is what I hope that very similar to my program, I feel that this is going to it's going to give though give people some of that as well. Some of those tips on however difficult life can become or however busy we might be, that actually we just take a little bit of time to step back so that we pause you know and sometimes we can get to a point where we become so entrenched in our work or our home life that we forget to look after ourselves we're so busy giving to others that we often don't step back and think about the impact on ourselves for the long term and you know you'll have heard me say a lot you know we off you know sometimes we don't put on our oxygen mask first and then we wonder why we're struggling So, you know, just like in when you get on a plane, when hopefully we can do at some point this year or maybe next year, um, (laughs) that we can, you know, we get on the plane. And if you've got young children, you know, and they give you the safety instructions, they always say, you know, if anything happens, you must put on your oxygen mask first before you put it on on others. And if this podcast helps just one person to pause and reflect and pinch some of the tips that we share to help them flourish and to understand that they can make changes in their life, no matter how difficult, so that they can perform at their best in their work and family life, then I'll be really happy. I love listening to podcasts when I'm in the car and when I'm walking, when we're allowed to drive anywhere. Um, so that it's it's a great it's a great asset to have in your in your arsenal of of tools, isn't it? This is the question I've been waiting for, Emma. Uh, can you share your reboot story with the listeners? I can. Yes. Well, you know, I've always been um, very ambitious. I would say. And always believed that as long as you work hard at something, you can make it happen. And probably one of my, I'm going to tell you about a couple of little, a couple of reboots, really. The second one is really where this 
podcast and my program idea came from but I'm going to tell you a little bit about the um the first one because I think it helps to portray that it was probably one of the first times in my life where I didn't feel like I had any control whatsoever. So I'm married. I've now got three children. But in having the having children to begin with, it was quite difficult. And, you know, we were told that, you know, it was it wasn't necessarily very likely we would be able to do that on our own. But with the help, you know, you'll be surprised at this of an alternative therapy, acupuncture. So Jenny's laughing. I can see her. She's trying not to uh, not to laugh too much on this podcast and interrupt me as we're speaking. But um, so yeah, because I read a book. So around that time when you know when we were trying, it was really it was really challenging. Friends around us were you kind of getting pregnant really quickly, and I would be so happy for them. But there would be days where when I found out when I wasn't like when I wasn't working that literally I would just have to wrap myself up really in 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 care and attention really and that was um before I had the children and I had to pick myself up every time this happened and it would and it was trying to kind of work out well why on earth why why is this not happening for us and I and I had questions in mind like why why is this happening you know like life's not really fair how what can I do about it how can I change it you know, because in everything that I'd done in my career and and everything really it was all about you put the work in and and you get the results out. But it was a real a real struggle. But we were really really lucky. And after reading that book, it literally transformed how I thought about the whole thing. And I'll have to try and remember what the book is. It was something like the survival guide to the the fertility survival guide. Um, And it's years and years ago because the twins are now 14. And it was brilliant. It was about this woman's journey that she went through and all the things she went through to try and get pregnant. And she didn't get pregnant um, and she ended up adopting in the end. And I think that whole kind of realisation of everything that she'd been through it really made me break down that whole thought of I must get pregnant or we must get pregnant to actually what's the next step that we need to take and that really was you know it was really it was a really tough time but literally by taking putting one foot in front of the other and taking it step by step and thinking well if I do get pregnant then that's one step further than we've been before if if the pregnancy lasts longer than this amount of time, then that's one step further than we've been before. So yeah, so that's kind of how I got through that whole time. But yeah, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't depressed or anything like that. I was just going to say, can I just say for the listeners, um, I wasn't laughing at the use of acupuncture. I was laughing because Emma and I often have conversations about complementary therapies. Um, I'm a huge proponent of acupuncture um, and supporter of of complementary therapy. So I just want to say that now before I get into trouble with your listeners. Oh, no, that's fine. No, it's just because we have this um, joke between us that I'm the least wooiest person of woo. And um, I I do find it quite intriguing, but I just wanted to impress her with that that fact that I've, you know, I had to turn to an alternative therapy. (laughs) So 
because <laughs> for me everything has to have a tool or a practical element to it most of the time so yeah so you know with when we went through that process I was fortunate enough to get pregnant the first time round, and you know I wasn't kind of I wasn't depressed or anything going through that process it was just a real huge test of resilience and then when when the twins was were born, so it was like, oh, this is amazing. We're so happy. And people who already had twins, I remember people like in the supermarket and things, they'd be like, oh, you're, you know, like I remember one. Oh, are you having one or two? Because by the end, I think it was like, um, I didn't have them until I was 38 and a half weeks. It doesn't happen now where they would leave you that long. But I remember this person, it was actually in Booth supermarket. I remember them saying to me, oh, it's a good job. <laughs> good job. They're going to come out soon. <laughs> like you're absolutely blooming huge. I was huge. I couldn't, towards the end, I couldn't drive or anything like that. Couldn't fit behind a steering wheel these two monsters had um had appeared you know by the and literally by the end because they left me so long I remember walking into the doctor's going so these little things that I cherished and everything you know and literally wrapped in cotton wool for 30 odd weeks or or whatever I, I was literally like get these things out of me now <laughs> I'd had enough I literally couldn't roll. I had to roll out of bed and all sorts. But yeah, when they arrived, they were the most beautiful, gorgeous little things that arrived um, that I'd ever seen. But it was the greatest test of resilience, you know, a real, another test of resilience in a different way, you know, surviving off no sleep. You know, I developed the arm muscles of a bodybuilder carrying two baby seats to the car. And almost that kind of that feeling of freedom as well was really interesting because I was so like independent, such an independent woman, career driven, all the rest of it. And then it was just like, mm, I can't even get out to the shops to get some milk because it's like really difficult to get two of them dressed to, you know, just like the basics in life. It really gave me a good like a reality check, really, in terms of the basics and the things that were really important. So, yeah, so that kind of restricting of your freedom started really then because you know having two babies at once is is quite you know it is not is not easy then later on as I, as I went back to work you know I threw myself back into work I was working four days a week I had a national job I was you know my husband was having the children when I had to stay away and things like that so we, it wasn't you know things were never easy if that makes sense but you know I was the career girl and that's what I wanted and so that's what I did. So after being told that we couldn't really have children without any help, then came along miracle baby number three. And literally those feelings that I had for these two babies that, you know, it's like, oh, they were, that were so wanted, literally from the other end of the spectrum was like, well, we've just bought a big house, you know, a house bigger than, you know, to accommodate you know, the growth in family. I've just gone back to work. That's what we'd budgeted for. And then number three comes along. So it was just a bit like that part was kind of how we were going to manage. That part was really kind of stressful. And then, but he arrived safely. And from the moment he kept, he arrived, it was just like, this is amazing. Because it was really easy in comparison. So even though I had three under three, 
which for me sometimes felt like an out-of-body experience, if I'm really honest, especially like, you know, as they got older and we'd be in a supermarket and I'd have like, you know, two in a trolley and one walking by me and then one would run off and I'd be like, how can this high-powered career girl not control the children? (laughs) Um, So, um, yeah, but basically, yeah, it was... um, and. I'm really grateful, really grateful for that. He's now 11, but I would have never experienced that almost pause that you get when you have one baby and that you can appreciate, really appreciate your time with that baby. Um, Because with twins, it's very much about a production line. It's like, oh, feed, feed you, pass you to someone else or stick you somewhere. There's not much time for cuddling and nurture. You have to grab those the cuddles and nurture when you can with your, you know, with your twins. Um, so that was kind of a different, a, a real kind of different element to being a mother, which, you know, which I enjoyed, even though it was like chaos. And um, my house up until that point, everything was like precise, you know, precision organized, um, you know, and, and literally timings for everything I was almost like quite OCD in terms of like the you know in terms of my organization in the house and making sure things were clean and um the the twins would sometimes be like playing with toys and and I'd be like thinking in my mind have you finished playing with that so that I can tidy it up (laughs) you know and kids you know and now I know that kids will play with one toy and then they'll move on to the next and then they'll move on to the next and then they'll come back to the first one but that didn't happen really in in my house so I hope I've not damaged my children by the fact that I was tidying up behind them So yeah so that's what used to happen it was like oh you gotta make a mess but then when number three came along that was just like oh I give up there's just it's just not gonna happen anymore so it was just like toys everywhere um it was just like things can be a mess during the day and then I would just tidy up at night and um yeah but it was just yeah those up because I liked having quite an organized and planned life and life often isn't like that and it was really kind of a a really good key learning that I mean some of my organizational skills that I learned around that time I do share as part of my program because they really are helpful to to some people but having a bit of a flexible approach to things perhaps is a, a better way to be but yeah providing for my family was like a massive huge driver and everything I did really was for the kids my husband you know for our future and I'd often get the balance wrong but I had always had this overwhelming feeling of protection for our family and it still is really huge I took promotions in the hope that it would bring more holidays and quality time for our family and often you know as soon as I would stop or take time off in that holiday I would sometimes be poorly um, which is really common in people that are trying to balance it all and often there was you know, there was always things going on kind of at work, had 13 different jobs in 19 years. And I loved that variety. I loved trying new things. It was almost like if something was broken, oh, I would go and fix it. You know, that whole just desire to to move forward and advance. And then a few years on and a couple of restructures later, I started to really feel differently about my work. It had just 
been my passion and people used to joke and say oh if you cut her open her blood will be blue inside because that's what the company's colors were and I loved what we stood for I loved our values I loved the mission that we were on I loved that we were helping people and I loved developing people to become you know it within their careers to live the life that they wanted to lead so coaching was always a huge part of of what I've always done and I was really fortunate in the you know every time there was a restructure I got a promotion and that was great and fantastic but the last time that happened it didn't feel fantastic and the key part really to that was that I think I'd been on this hamster wheel for so long that I just hadn't taken a step back you know by this time the kids were it was four years ago so my eldest would have been like 10 and you know they were still in primary it felt like they need, even though they were getting older, it felt like they needed us more, you know, around that sort of transition. And they were becoming more and more competitive with their own sports and out after school activities and things like that. And it was just like, we don't want them to miss out on those things. So both of us, you know, took times in our lives where we compromised really to be able to help the children be their best version of themselves. But in all of that and volunteering and fundraising and things like that and giving to others, it just all became a bit much. And although when I was in the organisation and in that corporate world, we'd laugh and kind of say, oh, you know, is the grass really greener on the other side? As if, you know, we've got it all here because, you know, we've got stable salary, career, all the rest of it, you know, and we work for, you know, a decent organisation. But sometimes it just gets to the point where, And it did for me where I was seriously stressed and I was burnt out and I didn't spot the signs and neither did the organisation. And companies have got a duty of care to um, spot that in their employees and where we are still a long way off in the field. So working with organisations now you know, on mental health and well-being strategies and on training and on coaching, you know, with organisations, we are still a way off with that. It's not easy to spot. It's not like a broken leg, is it? So, you know, I'm not saying that an organisation's to blame for that, but what I'm saying is an organisation has a responsibility to start to really think about how they can learn more and perhaps what support and interventions they can put in earlier especially when they're going through transition or, um, you know, challenging or changing times, which we are, you know, at the moment, everyone's transitioning. So I remember the day I was sat in a board meeting and the MD said at the time, we need to get more passion in our people. And I just sat there thinking, I don't feel any passion. And this was such an alien concept to me because people who know me know that I'm just such a passionate person. Oh, yes. (laughs) sometimes too much to the point that sometimes I've been told that you're aggressive on that and it's like well no I'm not aggressive I'm just passionate about it I believe in something and sometimes sometimes we do have to be a little bit forceful on things when it's values led and the whole thing around 
me moving forward with that the organization in that new role that I was in following the restructure I just the whole room just felt sterile everything felt robotic and I didn't really feel safe I didn't feel like I was in a psychologically safe environment and that sometimes happens with people in burnout um I know Jenny we've had this discussion haven't we before we have and people get to a point where sometimes that they become maybe quite angry or they can become quite cynical there are different signs kind of that that show and that for me looking back all those signs were there but I, I planned my exit I did tell them that I wanted to leave in the November a few months after that restructure and they said, you know, will you know, would you just kind of try for a few more months and see if you can kind of see if we can kind of work through this? Snap you out of it. Yeah, but really at that point, I was just what what should have happened is they should have really it was it was pray I was at work and I probably shouldn't have been at work around that time. But you know, I had got a mask on. I got a mask on when I was at work, put the mask on and I was doing my job and I was trying to perform at my best, even though I felt like I was dying inside. And then it was sort of the end end of January, but I literally at the Christmas, I remember at the Christmas was like, nah, I can't do this anymore. I've definitely made my mind up. And the, the week, the week we came back after Christmas, I literally started handing out projects to people, you know, handing my work over. Um, so I'd kind of, you know, I I I I I'd made my decision and started emptying my emails out after 19 years. It was very difficult, very difficult decision, you know, to make. Yeah. So I, I left, and once I left, actually, it got worse. In the um, that's when it really hit, and you know, I was exhausted. I didn't have a purpose anymore because my work was my purpose. It was either my work or my children, but a huge part of, I was, I was addicted to my work as well. I was addicted to being a high performer in my job and I was just so lost and I'd lost me and I didn't know who I was anymore. And, you know, a lot of over that 19 years my friends had been a lot of my friends had kind of been formed around that business as well and it's interesting when you're not their boss anymore or you're not in that business anymore how quickly those you know perhaps it's obvious certain friendships really really shine through and and others and others don't and also, you know, people probably thought that I was, you know, I'd always been superwoman, so I'd be fine, but I wasn't. I really wasn't. And so I had to work on putting myself back together. And that took a bit of time. And I really kind of absorbed myself in, it was my options where I went to the doctors and, you know, and I got a diagnosis or I started to really kind of work on dig deep. I reflected on the tools I had in my kit bag. I told my husband where my head was at in terms of how poorly I was really feeling. So he knew because there was, you know, a couple of occasions that I didn't think that I could carry on. 
And that for me is just like, well, you know me, it's just like, it was pretty bad for me to be at that point. I didn't ever have a plan or anything like that, but it just felt low. I just felt really low and lost and that it would be easier if I didn't wake up in the morning. Which considering I've got three beautiful children and a husband and amazing family is just like, I was really not in a great place. So I had to kind of rebuild myself. So I absorbed myself in learning, learning around mental health, learning about well-being, and I implemented it on myself. And I created tools that I used on myself. I pretty much coached myself through the whole thing and pulled myself from the mire and rebooted, as I call it. And I know they say like the rest is history, but, you know, amongst that, amongst that process after sleeping and sleeping and sleeping and uh, finding it difficult to get up in the morning and then reconnecting with friends and building up my network and getting back playing tennis and going to the gym and going for walks and getting a little dog um (laughs) that's not really part of the NHS's five ways to well-being that I was using around that time however However, it, she does mean that I will walk every single day now without fail. So, yeah, so just becoming really self-aware of what my needs were and starting to take, admit where I was and then working on my own self-development. So working for a big organisation, there was like so much training available, but it was like development within my work and development you know in terms of my leadership style and all the rest of it not necessarily self-development so that for me are probably two key points really that started to kind of turn my life around and a huge part for me as well was that I found it really difficult to talk about all my feelings I didn't even tell my mum who I'm, you know, really lucky. My mum's like, you know, my best friend, but I didn't even tell my mum how bad I was and I couldn't get, I just couldn't get it out of my mouth. And that's what happens with some people who become mentally ill is that you become quite isolated in your thoughts and, you know, quite detached. And the, the, kind of further you go down that route the harder it is to get it out of your mouth that you're feeling like crap basically but I did get to a point because I would told my husband and then he told my mum and and probably was a turn probably was a turning point that day I remember spending there was two days that I just I couldn't stop crying it was just like the emotions were just coming out so all this numbness had been there and then yeah, it just all came out in floods of tears. And that's, I'm not a really cryy person. I cry, I cry for other people. Um, I don't often cry for myself. You know, like when you're watching something on the TV, I'm like the worst. I can literally be hysterical. <laughs> um, but I don't, you know, it has to be really bad for me to cry for me. So, yeah, so there you go. Uh, so that really is is my story and I don't necessarily you know when I talked about I had my option was to go to the doctors or to fix it for myself 
I don't necessarily encourage people to do it in the way that I did it. I did, you know, I knew that I'd overcome a lot of adversity in my life already. You know, I've only told you part of my story today. You know, that's for another day. And that's, you know, sometimes like I say to people now is there will always be parts of your story that you might not be ready to share or that you save for a later date because you don't feel like you're ready. And yeah, so this is two real key parts of my of my life story. And I think I think thank you, Emma, for sharing that. I think it will resonate with many, many people. I think there are many of us who have had um either some or all or parts, you know, parts of it will will resonate very strongly. So thank you for sharing that story with us. Yeah, so it was just, you know, I suppose all of that kind of time, it was like I'd lost my identity, I'd lost my passion, I'd lost my purpose, um, and just really kind of um, that whole process of, um, that whole process of reflection and putting me first for a little bit, not like all the time, but just putting some attention and balance back on me and some priority on me. I was going to say, one of the things that you said in your reboot story, I think it's a pair of reboots, actually, not just one, isn't it? A pair of reboots. Um, <laughs> you've got the full set. You you talked uh, very eloquently about feeling like you're on that hamster wheel and that relentless kind of having to keep going, having to keep going, having to keep going and juggle all those roles. How do you, knowing what you know now, how do you switch off to switch on? Yes, well, this is really important because this is not something that I naturally find easy. I am a work addict. When I am driven to achieve something, I've still got that same level of passion and drive. But actually learning to breathe was something that was quite a revelation for me, to be honest. I remember laughing with one of my friends and it was like, aha, we've not learned to, we didn't learn to breathe till we were in our thirties, you know, which is like really, (laughs) I know it's daft, but it is, it's sometimes just taking a deep breath and taking a pause just sometimes when you feel a bit like maybe tight in the chest or you know you will have little signs of stress that you have and you know you can either work and breathe when you see those signs but also taking time to breathe prior to that happening is even more healthy really for your mental fitness but yeah I pause by walking every day no matter how small those walks are, and it's ideally twice a day. And I write a lot. So I talked um, a little bit before, didn't I, about that emotional part and getting that, find it difficult to get those feelings out. So I write and now write a lot. It can be more like a diary entry or... Journaling. Yeah, it's just... Gen- and, and actually, this is something that people always say to me. So how do you journal? How can you... Three things that you need to be grateful for and three, you know, and do this and that and the other. It's like, no, you do. You write what you can use that structure if you want to. But I have never used a structure. I have just written whatever has come into my head. And it could be that, you know... I've written a letter to myself. It could be that I'm just writing rubbish. It could be I'm writing a letter to my children. 
It could be I'm writing a letter to someone that I'll never send because actually they've really annoyed me. Um, you know, it, it could be anything, but it could be it could be three things I'm really grateful for. It could be something that's come into my head about, you know, maybe a word or something like what is the meaning of pause? So me knowing that I need to pause and perhaps I'm not pausing on that day. Why, you know, why am I not pausing? What am I fearful of pausing for? What's going to happen if I don't? So there's loads of things, you know, around that. And the real, real, real great thing is how to switch off and switch on. And massive part of the work that I do is to help people to perform at their best, but so that they can switch off and have time with their family and I wasn't necessarily that present in my previous life, if that makes sense, because I'd always be thinking about what I needed to do next or whatever. Whereas now I have to watch myself. But yeah, when I switch off, I have time with my family. And you've been through a huge amount, both of, of the going down and then working your way back up again. What are your two top personal flourishing formulas for life that's really hard to say it is really hard personal <laughs> flourishing formula for life that's yeah, it. you have to practice it yeah definitely person so what are your tips for a full personal flourishing formula for life well I have literally over the last sort of two to three years I have a book where I write my key learns at the back of this book and this is like my personal flourishing formula but I'm only going to share a couple with you today but I would say the first thing is that self-awareness connect it's all reconnecting with yourself and really being honest with where you are so you know I wasn't honest with how I was feeling or where I was at or why I was feeling the way that I was and I think sometimes that's a you know that huge sort of self-reflection piece just stopping and becoming self-aware of what your needs are and what is going on around you can really help you to think I'm being honest with myself and these are the changes that I would like to start to see can I make them happen now or are there things that need to change to be able to make that happen and then the other part is the bit when I talked about kind of that self-development. So we always, I think as humans, we can either decide to stay where we are or we can be on like a growth trajectory. Can't even say that word. But, you know, to thrive, we do need to have that little bit of stretch, that little bit of stretching yourself out of a comfort zone, not to the point where, you're under, you know, huge amount of stress and in distress. That's not what I'm talking about. It's just trying new things or exploring things and being curious about the world and seeing self-development as something that's a real priority, probably over your career development, because actually those soft skills that people talk about that they don't necessarily put as much emphasis on or equate in in much money to in terms of pounds are the things that are potentially going to help you through those challenging and changing times and mean that you come out the other end flourishing so yeah so those a couple of top tips 
But the huge part as well is learning to pause is a massive one as well. Yeah, just taking a little bit of time. So switching off to switch on is is a huge, huge benefit. I think um, obviously another one is regular listening to podcasts, particularly the Human Reboot podcast. Isn't that so? Um, I was going to ask you next, are there any particular communities or people or books or resources that have been um, a key part of your journey that you might want to share with people? There are so many, but I just wanted to share one. I just wanted to share a book that is not really a self-help book, but it's it's the Midnight Library. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, by Matt Haig. So it's yes. not really a self-help book, but it's it's a fiction book. But it's just beautifully written and just really helps you to kind of it does make you really reflect on things. I think it's the um what I particularly loved about it was the possibilities, the what ifs. You know, sometimes when we're at a decision making point in our lives and we think, well, what if I'd done that or what if I do this? Actually, it doesn't matter. You take the you make the decision you make at the time. You'll never know. But the Midnight Library explores the never know bits, doesn't it? And it's a fascinating, fascinating story. It's it's a beautifully written book. Yeah, and there's so many more, but these will come out over over the up and coming podcasts. So as part of the podcast, there will be a regular sharing of your personal human flourishing formula for life and resources that um, yourself and your guests have found helpful. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yes, they will. So we'll talk about it in the podcast and then we'll pop it in the show notes. And the episodes that are following this, because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, we're talking about... Um, walking in nature and its benefits with mental health and yeah over 70 percent of women are walking to take in nature and to uh, and for their mental health and uh, my guest on that one is the lovely Heather Waring who I know that you know well and the other one is my great friend Chika Ray and she is sharing her story as a black woman through the pandemic and the effect that it's had on her mental health and how it's really helped her to take her message to the world about how people can become allies so I can't wait for you to be able to hear those those first couple of episodes following this. I just want to say thank you, Emma, firstly, for inviting me to interview you. It is, as always, an enormous privilege and a pleasure. I think you've really whetted our appetite. This feels like it's going to be such an enriching podcast and, and have so much to offer people out there. So if you're listening to this and you know 10 people who you think would like to be part of the audience or even perhaps a guest then I'm sure Emma would only be too delighted to uh, for you to get in touch with her I am absolutely convinced that this podcast is just going to grow and grow and grow and I'd just like to say Emma I wish you all the luck in the world with with your project and I can't wait to be part of the Human Reboot podcast family thank you Thank you so much, Jenny. 
Thank you for listening to the Human Reboot podcast. I'm Emma Last, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star podcast review and visit thehumanrebootmovement.com where you can find downloadable free resources, sign up to my mailing list or connect with me on social. So that's thehumanrebootmovement.com. Let's switch off so we can switch on. It's time for your human reboot.